Good evening and good morning, Los Angeles. It is actually Saturday morning, just past midnight. For most of us, it's still Friday evening. My name is Jason Gallagher, and I'd like to welcome you to the Apologetics.com radio show, where we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. I wanted to throw out our number because this is a call-in show. This show is more about you guys than it is about us here in studio, and we'd love to chat with you. And you could reach us at 888-995-5552. That's 888-995-KKLA. A few logistics here. This show is sponsored by Branch of Hope Church in Torrance, California. It's a church that I'm a part of. I'm one of the deacons there. And you can get in touch with me directly. My email is jason at apologetics.com, jason at apologetics.com. We'd love to chat with you. Tonight's show is going to be... A conversation about uh, Catholicism and how to go about loving our Catholic neighbors. We do have a special guest on the line calling in from London, and we would just want to make sure that he is there with us, Gavin Ashenden. Are you online with us, Gavin? Um, I am online with you, but you're very faint, so if you could be turned up at my end, that would help me a lot. All right. Well, our engineer is on that. I'll check back with you in a few minutes here or a few seconds to see if the uh, the sound levels are better. I also have a good friend in studio tonight. He's a regular here on the show with me. His name is Tony Yu. Tony, how are you tonight? I'm doing great. Hello, everybody. And Tony Yu introduced uh, me and the ministry to Gavin Ashenden. I've never met him in person, but a little bit of background about Gavin Ashenden. He was ordained as an Anglican priest in 1980. And we'll let him um, talk a little bit more about his experience, but we have him on the show tonight because he has actually gone through a transformation of sorts from Anglicanism to Catholicism. Uh, But some very fascinating things about his background, I'll give you guys a few highlights. He became the vicar of a church on the edge of South London after his ordination in 1980. He was occasionally arrested and interrogated by the KGB and other security services as he was, I believe, trying to smuggle Bibles into USSR back in the day as a missionary. Gavin, is that is that true? <clears throat> I'm really sorry, but I, I can hardly hear you. I'm, All right. I, I, think, um, I think someone needs to uh, connect my side with yours. Can, can you be turned up at all? They are working on that. And um, hopefully, hopefully the rest of Los Angeles and those listening online can hear us just fine. Um, but yeah, tonight's conversation is really at the heart of what we do here at Apologetics.com. It's about uh, reaching, reaching people with the gospel, but not just unbelievers. You know, it's all about challenging those inside the church, those who believe, uh, to think, to use their minds, and also challenge those who think to believe. Um, and when it comes to this topic of Catholicism, you know, we believe as Protestant evangelicals, Tony and I, that there are major differences in the teachings of Scripture and in what we would call the official teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. There's, um, you know, a Roman Catholic Church catechism that is kind of the official teachings of the Church, and I don't know how many of the lay people that actually go to Catholic churches are familiar with um, all of the different ins and outs of that, but there's some concerning areas to us um, in the area that teaches about how people are to be saved, um, for instance. And so we're hoping if we get the sound levels right, we could have a good conversation and dialogue with Gavin because he kind of 
was Anglican, which is more of a Protestant background, and he has now actually become part of the Roman Catholic Church. So we want to actually just talk to him and and have him share some of his story and some of the things that he learned that kind of caused him to transition that direction. Um, and so I think it'll be a valuable discussion for us to hear. Gavin, is the uh, are the sound levels any better now? Um, <clears throat> no, you sound like you're about three houses away. All right, can you can you? I can, I can just hear you. Are you able to kind of follow what we're saying, or is it too faint for you to kind of follow along? It, it, it let's try it right on the cusp. Um, okay, uh, because it's so important to hear what you say. I'm a bit so, concerned. Um, I have to invent half the words of the sentence. Um, <laughs> so I can just hear you. We, we, I'm happy to try, but uh, so. If you could hear me, could you share a little bit of your, you know, journey, how you became a Christian or how you became a, you know, Anglican priest and maybe share some of that with our listeners? Yes, yes. <laughs> Perhaps whilst I'm talking um, with with some spiritual and practical help, we could connect our sounds a bit better. Um, I became a Christian when I was, um, well, of course, it depends on whose perspective one one looks at it. Um, the, the church would say I became a Christian when I was baptized in the name of the Trinity mm, and okay. prayed over as a child. But uh, as with all these things, they have to be made personal. And so whatever seeds were planted in me by grace, uh, I became a Christian when I was 21 and a law student. Uh, and <clears throat> I had I had I had. This will sound a little dramatic, but at, but at 18, I had drunk myself to death when I was teaching music in Toronto, I had drunk a litre of vodka, and the reason I think I'd drunk myself to death is I saw myself leaving my body and went to be judged. Oh, wow. I came into the presence of the courts of heaven, and as you can imagine, these things are very difficult to put into words, but my experience was that I was was judged, and it was a very fearful business, um, but I was forgiven and sent back. The trouble was, when I came back, I didn't know God's name. sound a bit odd but um i was sure it had happened because i i have a very low tolerance for alcohol and after a liter of vodka i would have been ill for a very long time but i felt astonishingly well physically and spiritually uh, the, the trouble was having been forgiven and put back on my feet i i didn't need god anymore and so i i became busy and and uh and, and pursued my life the next time i had a crisis i thought heck i need some help who was that? I had better find God. I'd better find his name. So I went on a, I decided I would go through a tour of all the world religions to see which one most hmm. most looked like the, the, the God who had I had encountered as, as pure and holy and light and truth and goodness and forgiveness. And so this will sound obvious now, but when I heard Jesus being preached about in a, in a cathedral, uh um shortly afterwards i said oh that's him and so i i became a christian but i'm a bit skeptical so i decided i would only be a christian for periods of 48 hours and at the end of the 48 hours i'd i'd review it to see whether or not this really was the same god i'd encountered and whether it worked um and uh and, and it, it was the same and it did work and so i, I became a fully paid up christian wow is the sound levels any better, or is it still faint, Gavin? I think I've lost you. All right. So 
that's a fascinating story um, about Gavin's near-death experience. Tony, do you have any thoughts as you were just hearing Gavin uh, talk about that a little bit? I thought I knew something about Gavin, but I have not heard that story. That's amazing. Can you hear me, Gavin? Uh, very faintly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, let, let me kind of give a little background. Is on... your volume turned up all the way, Gavin, on your end? Um, I, I can hear I can hear the studio, I think, very clearly. Um, okay. Uh, when, when you say my volume, that's a very good question. Uh, yeah, my volume is quite high up. Okay, so we're we're just going to carry on, and we could hear you just fine. Um, okay, now, and I I found a switch, so it looks like the problem is at my end. And oh, okay, I can hear you better. Excellent, <laughs> wonderful. All right, so interesting. So you said um, you so there's kind of two two stories there that we heard. One was a 21 year old law student drank himself to death, um, and through a near death experience, you kind of came face to face with this God, and then. After coming back from that experience, you tried out Christianity. You did some searching, but and then you tried Christianity for 48 hours and came to the conclusion that that was the true God that you had met during a near-death experience. And so then from that point on, you have basically been a full-fledged believer in Christianity. Yes, I, I, I later on became uh, qualified as a psych professor and, 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 and taught this. I mean, you can, you can imagine why I was, I was interested and wanted to know more about the field and discovered mm-hmm. that very many people have had near-death experiences. They are, they're immensely sure. common. And, and the, yeah. the reason we don't hear much about them, I think, is partly because of the influence of Sigmund Freud, who, uh, who, who made people so anxious about the possibility of God and the link mm. with mental illness that he frightened a whole couple of generations from talking about it. But the fact is that there are an enormous, there's an enormous amount of material of people encountering God, sometimes oh, sure. knowing who he is and sometimes not knowing who he is. But yeah. but for me, once the encounter was so vivid and so real okay. that I, I could no longer, I could no longer treat God as a casual idea that I had to make my mind up about. It was, mm-hmm. I, I had, I had to be incredibly grateful. I'd been given my life back and I slowly began to realize, because 21-year-olds can be quite self-preoccupied, mm. that, that I had a duty to use it for him. So I wanted to become a Christian lawyer. I, I thought the world needed more Christian lawyers. Um, and I was very surprised to discover the, the church telling me that I ought to be ordained and to become an Anglican priest. I didn't like the idea mm-hmm. because not many of the clergy I'd met uh, God forgive me. We're very impressive. <laughs> sure, so. sure. Um, so that's that's really interesting. Um, that's a fascinating story. Kind of adds to uh, the rest of your fascinating your fascinating uh, life that I've you know heard a little bit about. Um, you know, what would you say is the primary thing that makes a person a Christian? So this is never do from my point of view. <laughs> uh-huh. You have to be in love with Jesus. Um, you don't have to anything, but it, it, it's when you discover. Uh, I think two things happen. One is a degree of self knowledge. Um, when you discover that our our integrity is really very badly flawed, we we mm-hmm. you know we say things to other people and we and we don't do them. We have a very ambivalent attitude with the truth. Our, our moral 
calibre is pretty low for most of us. And yet inside all of us, there is a longing for goodness, for truth, for integrity, and we, we don't measure up. So the first thing that has to happen is this, this realisation there's a gap between who we want to be and how we want the world to be and what we are like and we are the problem. If having mm. had that level of self, uh, self-knowledge, um, we then discover who Jesus is. To, to, to Jesus offers us two things. First of all, he offers us complete forgiveness from the past. Uh, and we are made with a very tender conscience. We often try and cover it up and ignore it, but nonetheless, mm-hmm. we, we all have it. But sure. he then offers to change us for the future. And when when one discovers that we're both forgiven and we're a kind of work of work of art, a work of love art, um, that that ties us to him in enormous gratitude. And that's one of the reasons why people speak with such passion and delight and fervor. And sometimes it embarrasses people who have no idea what they're talking about. But when you've met Jesus and you realize you're forgiven and you're being welcomed on a journey to, to, to heaven, to 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 everlasting and deeper bliss, you can't do anything but fall in love with him and be grateful. And then mm. as life goes on, um, he, he's, very, he's very keen not to let us control uh, him because the, the problem with, an ex- with a relationship with God is like if we turn him into an idea, then we control him. And one of the difficulties, I think, in the Christian life is that we often – we often have a kind of concept of God and we settle for the concept or the idea and we we don't put enough into this experience in the heart. I think partly because we're mm-hmm. safer in our heads than in our hearts. We, our heads are rational places where we feel in control. But, but what the Christian tradition describes as the heart or the soul is a is a much um, <laughs> it's a much scarier place, but that's really where the encounter with God most deeply takes place. So mm. we have to make sure that we don't limit Him by treating Him as an idea, to which certain propositions are attached that we that we then defend vigorously, uh, and that we learn to have a relationship with Him in our heart, where we follow Him and let Him change us. Amen. That's beautiful, Gavin. This is Tony. You, how are you? Tony, I'm fine, thank you. Very nice to talk to you and to get to know you personally. Mm -hmm. Um, Could you elaborate a little more on this loving Jesus um, and then in relationship to salvation? uh, Does anybody, do you have to do something to merit that grace, that salvation? Um, No, absolutely nothing at all. Of course, there there is nothing we we can do. I mean, one of the great strengths of the Reformation was that um, it it saw the church going, uh, leaning too badly in one direction, and it it offered some important correction. And so there are periods Mm. in the church's history when uh, culturally in different parts of the church, uh, it loses its bearings. It's a bit. Any sailors will know that um, if you're trying to follow a compass direction, you, you very often move away from the from where the needle is pointing was the wind and the waves pull you to one side or another. And the church has that experience as it goes through history. And the wonderful, in the wonderful goodness of God, he's always trying to save his church as he's say, trying to save his people. So he sends movements of renewal and, and people with prophetic gifts and people to help sort of clean the church up a bit. And each one of these is a renewal movement. And one, my, my, there is nothing you can do to to merit or to earn the love of Christ because we're made in the image of the Father and just as Jesus described, uh, 
he comes looking for us to find us all, all we have to do is to to stop long enough and to to hear him and to say yes to him however this is a linear it's like a video rather than a photograph what happens when you've experienced his love well then you have to respond <laughs> so, i completely agree and and so so i think the the theological arguments come as people divide the experience of the love of christ which is completely unmerited from the next thing that happens which is we then start to shape up and to implement what he's what he says and asks us to do now people have often described that as works but I, I it's a bit like trying to divide time and space time and space only work together they they they're interrelated dimensions and i think grace and works only ever work together you you simply can't separate them because if you've met jesus you have to respond and that response is what people call works there is no response without mm. grace so I, I i i think one of the reasons that i'm an anxious is the wrong word but, but hesitant about the kind of language that takes place in the shadow of the reformation is i think we've 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 broken things in two that actually belong in a continuum together artificially and then we find mm. ourselves squabbling about them because we 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 mean different things by them May I respond by asking your opinion on the Council of Trent, specifically Canon 9, if, if you don't mind. I'll, I'll read it out to you. Sure, go ahead. If anyone saith that by faith alone the impious is justified in such wise as to mean that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to the obtaining the grace of justification, and that it is not in any way necessary that he be prepared and disposed by the movement of his own will, let him be anathema. And the way I understand this canon is if you believe that it is by faith alone that you're saved, let him be anathema or damned to hell. Um, did I, do I properly understand canon 9 and what is your, your take on that? Okay, so let's, mit, let's set canon 9 alongside the words of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Yes, I think you do understand it. See, I think that's what Jesus says too. Um, Jesus says, he who endures to the end shall be saved. So what what he's telling us is is quite clearly that after our encounter with him, something more is expected of us. Um, in 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 Matthew twenty five, the the second half, there's a lot to argue about the context. I happen to think he's talking about the early church when he talks about his brothers and sisters, not a universal, uh, not not a universal acts of compassion everywhere. But none, nonetheless, he's our Lord is very clear that the sheep and the goats. He expects us to act out his compassion for others. Um, so I think what the council, so, so and you probably know that when Luther, um, Luther doctored St. Paul's text and put in the word alone in German, which wasn't there in the Greek in order, because that's what he thought St. Paul meant. But nonetheless, he shouldn't have doctored the scriptures. I think what Trent is trying to do is to say that the great danger of teaching faith alone is that people might imagine that um experiencing a degree of faith in God as in trust in him they might then sit back and say okay it's done now my 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 relationship with God is complete because he's done everything but actually what Trent is saying is what Jesus is saying is that's that's just where it begins now now you do the picking up of your cross and and carrying it now you do you're putting to death of the ego now you forgive your brother 70 times 7. Now you look after the poor and the widow. Um, the, the, the life in Christ is a continuum, and the danger with the, the, the faith works argument uh, has the danger in it of slicing life in two. And if you like, 
saying, well, if you have faith, that's it. Nothing else is needed. But that's not what Jesus teaches. May I respond to that? Um, yeah. Yes. Uh, there's a lot of what you said that I agree with, that if you are saved, if you've had an encounter with Jesus Christ, you must be transformed. Salvation isn't just a declaration of righteousness, but there is a renewal of the Spirit being born again. Right. And the works must follow. Uh, is, would you say that that is uh, relative? That's, absolutely, that's just what I think I was saying, too. Yes, exactly. But, he, but here's the question. Um, for the thief on the cross, he had no opportunity to do any works, yet Jesus declared that today you will be with me in paradise. So when we take that context to a, a modern example, let's say you, you meet your your relative, a brother or a sister in the hospital who is on his or her deathbed, and they seem to receive Christ and, and profess faith in Jesus, and he's unable to do any works. Is he saved? Absolutely. There's a lovely poem. I wish I could remember who wrote it. It says it's talking about somebody who's gone riding on a horse or hunting and has an accident and is thrown from the horse and killed. And a and little verse says, between the stirrup and the ground, he mercy sought and mercy found. Um, and so, of course, there's no time for the thief on the cross or the person on the deathbed or the person being thrown from a horse to their death. Of course, there's no time. They're entirely saved by the love of God. Uh, but And I think this is very helpful because what it what it does is it says this response to God is not works in the sense that you're earning anything. It's it's response. Right. So okay. where the Lord gives us time for response we have responsibility to make it. If we don't make it, then the faith wasn't real. Uh, and where there isn't any time to respond, well, of course, everything everything that's necessary is done by him, which is why I think the faith works dialogue is, is a bit of a sterile one. Because it's not, I don't think it's about faith and works. I think it's about time and opportunity. And it's faith that works. It's faith that transforms you and the works yes. come out of you because you can't help it anymore. It's your new Absolutely. nature. That's absolutely right. It's, it's, it's what happens when you live out your faith. Now, um, I think one of the things we might disagree about, not wanting to, to find disagreement, <laughs> but, but, but certainly in the deeper parts of the Christian tradition, in, in people who've led consecrated lives, I think their level of self-awareness is often greater than, than those of us who rush around being busy and saying our prayers less frequently and less intensely. But I think the more one prays, the more we realize how flaky we are <laughs> and, uh, and how, as St. Paul describes in Romans 7, that we actually have an internal conflict that goes on all the time, pulling us away from God so that we're in, need, we're in need, a state of a need for constant repentance, constant turning back to him. Mm-hmm. Would, would I be um, fairly representing you if I say that works are basically a fruit of the justification, a fruit of the salvation Yes, I mean that's technical theological language, but but if, if by fruit we mean a response, yes, absolutely, they 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 can't possibly exist without, with, well, I said they can't possibly exist. The way we understand, it depends whether you're talking about a Christian or not. But they're in not the, of, they're not the cause of salvation. Yes, in terms of Christian lives, they're what automatically happens when you're when you're responding to Jesus. You you cannot, for example, not forgive somebody after you've just been on your knees, confessed, and been forgiven. Yes. It's not, you know, it, it, it means something. It means you didn't really do it. Um, I think probably the, the 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 question is more about people who are not ob- obviously Christians and whether or not 
because of the lies of, of, of compassion that they show, they then get to be saved. Um, but of course, the, the difficulty with that is we, we, we don't stand in the place of judgment. Only the Lord knows the secrets of other people's hearts. And, and my view has always been one of the reasons why I'm passionate about evangelism is that oh. if it had been left to me, I, <laughs> I hadn't met Jesus. Um, my experience of standing before before judgment was a very serious one. I, one of the thoughts I had as I was being judged was, if I'm sent to hell, I will at least have the satisfaction of knowing I deserved it and there's justice in the universe. Um, no, I, was, I wasn't sent to hell. And at age 19, I hadn't got up to very much. Um, but that wasn't the point. I, I was already aware that I wasn't in any state to approach closer to, to God's nuclear holiness without being forgiven. Um, I did not, uh, you know, there's a Greek idea that the soul lives forever and it's self-sufficient and it's fine. But but the Hebrew idea is that the living God is, is holy in a nuclear way and we get we get burnt up if we get too close because he's dangerous. So we have to be forgiven. And I, I, I'm, I think the danger of going to hell is so great that I would want everybody to have the chance of meeting Jesus and not leave it to some kind of balance sheet at the end of their life because there's a very serious danger they wouldn't get through. We are kindred spirits, Dr. Ashenden. Um, <laughs> I, I, I want to be completely frank. When I pitched the idea of doing the show to Jason, um, I said to him something along the lines, I very much admire and I, I kind of love this man as my brother, Gavin, uh, because I've been uh, admiring you from a distance. But I don't believe that there is salvation for anyone who holds to Catholic dogma, or Catholic doctrine. And maybe after the break, which is coming up, we can talk about Canon 24. <laughs> that will be exciting. Good. Yeah, we um, – the fascinating conversation. This is Gavin Ashenden calling in from London. We have Tony Yu in studio. I'm Jason Gallagher. We're talking about Catholicism and Christianity, similarities and differences. Uh, trying to work through some of those. And so we will be right back after a quick short break. He was gentle as a lamb, gentle as a lamb. Welcome back, everybody, to the second half of the Apologetics.com radio show. My name is Jason Gallagher. I'm in studio tonight with Tony Yu. And we have a special guest on the line from London. He's calling in. It's uh, Saturday morning out there in London, I believe. Gavin Ashenden, are you still online with us? I am. Yes, it is All Saturday right. morning. I'm, I'm, I'm in the middle of England, uh, near the Welsh border, but um, uh, awesome. But, but nonetheless, no, no, much, not much further away from California than if I was in London. Awesome. Well, we just really appreciate. Appreciate you taking the time to join us. Um, if people don't know a little bit about your story, I think there were some really interesting news stories that surrounded some of your, um, I don't know if you want to call it advocacy or standing up for uh, what you believe to be true regarding the church and uh, some of the things that were being taught. I think um, you were on Fox News and some other things. I think they could look up some of your story online. Um, yes, and I, I have a webpage. It's called ashenden.org and and, and and much of much of the stuff is there if people are interested. All right, yeah. I mean, you were chaplain to the Queen, it sounds like, um, and you were on Fox News and different U.S. Uh, news outlets, and uh, just a fascinating person. Used to, you know, you you mentioned you have a heart for evangelism. 
um, spreading the good news of the gospel to people. And, um, you know, you've done that. You know, I, I believe you were um, arrested, interrogated by the KGB at one point. Is that right? <laughs> yes, in the early 1980s, I, I, I did some Bible smuggling. And um, wow. uh, I wasn't a very good – well, it wasn't a matter of being very good. You either got caught or you didn't. It depended on – right on whether they were the guards were awake and doing their job but i got caught a couple of times and uh and, and had some difficulties with both the russian uh authorities and the czech authorities but um the lord was very gracious and and and, and i i got out of the trouble i found myself in but the, awesome. the, the the real issue wasn't me being arrested and the the kind of uh, cinematic excitement that, that suggests the, the right. real issue was the faithful christians in moscow and Pit mm. and, and Petersburg and 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 in Czechoslovakia, who who were mm-hmm. loving Jesus and reading the Bible and meeting to pray and take the sacraments in the face of enormous persecution, mm-hmm. and it was their Wonderful. courage that that I was honouring by trying to bring them Bibles and theological books and medicine. And and one of the reasons I think, as one joins the dots in one's life and one tries to understand what God is about, I, I had an experience of totalitarian Marxist culture and the hatred that it directed towards the church behind the iron curtain mm-hmm. and the reason that it matters is not not because that was 40 years ago or so but because that same marxist culture that that totalitarian uh hatred of christianity is returning sure in western culture and in, in in the guise of what we call political correctness right so most people see this as a kind of irritating uh, Puritanism of the of the political mind, mm-hmm. uh, but it's much more serious than that, in my opinion. And uh, it's it's again for those people who who know about spiritual conflict, it has the devil's fingerprints all over it. And one of the first things it does is to go after the church and to go after those who love Jesus and to try and yeah. stop the church telling people about Jesus and making mm. Christian things available. So we'll, in a strange way, an experience that I thought belonged in history in a different part of the world has suddenly bounced back and become very real in the part of the world I live in. And and I now look to those that, that yeah. journey behind the Iron Curtain as giving me a, a, a sense of perspective about yeah. what's going on in my own culture today. And where things could end up. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, just to recap real quick, I want to throw out our number again because I forget to do that. And if you want to call in and talk to Gavin or ask him questions about um, Catholicism, he is he used to be an Anglican priest but has become a recent uh, convert, I guess, to Roman Catholicism. And we wanted to have him on the show to have this dialogue about some of the similarities and differences between you know some of the teachings in the Protestant Christian Church. Um, so far, we've been talking, and it sounds like there's a lot of similarities. And I, you know, I really appreciate these conversations because a lot of times we might come on the air and we might do a show like this where we talk about some of the Catholic doctrines, and it'll just be us talking to ourselves and reading off some of the things from the Catholic Catechism. But it's always great to actually have a human being on the other end who actually subscribes to that particular faith to actually interact with and dialogue with. Um, I will say, up until this point, it sounds like everything that you've said, for the most part, um, sounds very similar to what we would affirm, um, Tony and I, as uh, Protestant Christians. Um, 
And just to clarify, it sounded like when we talked about faith and works, for example, which is oftentimes a big point of discussion, that you mentioned that works are a fruit of salvation. They don't merit salvation for us, but there's something that's going to happen in a person's life when they are changed by the love of Christ. Is that a would that be an accurate summary? Yes, absolutely. The gap between okay. us and God, the, the, between our flawed humanity and, and his, what, what I might call nuclear perfection, is so great that there's nothing we can do at all, <clears throat> either to get closer to him on our own, on our own accord, mm-hmm. or, or to defend ourselves against, against his forensic, the forensic examination of, of, of holy justice. I mean, we, there's nothing we can do at all. So mm-hmm. um, it, almost, it almost seems to be ridiculous, the idea that, that, that Christians can be thought to imagine they can reconcile themselves to God by their own moral virtue. If you know anything about who God is and who you are, it, it's so impossible as to be laughable. You know, Gavin, um, your salvation story was very striking to me. Uh, you you seem to have met Jesus in a near-death experience, and the experience was so powerful it changed you, and you couldn't help but be changed by it, and your works flowed out of you. Um, and that's my my take on what Scripture has has been saying, which is that faith is the the cause of salvation, but the works are an effect. But I want to read to you the main part of Canon 24 of the Council of Trent. <laughs> you know where I'm going. If anyone saith that works are merely the fruits and signs of justification obtained but not a cause of the increase thereof, let him be anathema. So what we had just agreed to is specifically anathematized by the Council of Trent, as far as I understand it. Yes, but the trouble is, so what would, okay. Once upon a time when I was a lawyer or or, or an academic, (laughs) I, I learned that everything depends upon the meaning of the word and the context in which you place it. The, the the problem is that you and I, and this is and this is the great tragedy of the church. You, you and it's it's like, uh, it's just like belonging to a family. And and fifty years ago, uh, two members of the family fell out and in a conversation, and this this conversation has been reported to us down down by aunts, aunts and uncles over the last fifty years, and we find ourselves taking sides and replaying the argument. But the problem was, the argument was was fairly specific to the context it happened in, mm-hmm. and so what you know here, in in a way, it, it's kind of ridiculous. Here we are, five hundred years later, trying to replay a conversation that took place in Europe, uh, in a completely different uh, um, culture, with struggling with different issues. And although we use words like faith and works, um, what we mean by them now is, I think, rather subtly different from the way in which they were used as people tried to work through the issues of salvation uh, in Germany in 1520. I mean, for, for example, um, the, the, the whole of, of, the, of the community was understood to be Christian. And so what they were dealing with was, a, was Christendom, a, a community that had been baptized. They were, if you like, spiritually policing the, the, the faithfulness of a very wide group of people, whereas today we live in a secular society and we're dealing with a church that's separate and has its own rules. And and therefore, there is no Christendom for us to talk to, to talk about. Um, I just don't think we can translate 
what the Council of Trent was trying to do in its conversation with Luther, which, which was essentially a power struggle. And what was going on then was there had been a huge change from, if you like, a corporate mentality to, a, to the rise of the individual, which took place in the 16th century. And as this big philosophical culture shift took place, it expressed itself in Christian terms too. And the whole personal nature of a relationship with God became seriously amplified as two things happened. People had a sense of who they were outside their place in the community and the role that they played in it. And as they got hold of the scriptures for themselves for the first time and began to read them. Now, this was an enormous seismic shift. And during this earthquake, there were some theological discussions. Um, they didn't handle them at all well. And, and it broke the church into smithereens. I don't think we need to replay that drama. We're, we're, we're the task we have for the kingdom of heaven and for the church in the 21st century is really different. No one is arguing about faith and works. It's, it's just not there. So here we, we're taking a family snapshot of a huge row that took place at a really quite tumultuous time culturally, and we're replaying it. Um, and I, I, I don't think to any good effect. Well, we're, we're just trying to I mean, these are still the f official teachings of the Roman Catholic Catechism, are they not? Well, okay, so that, that's very helpful. Okay. <laughs> let's, let's, let's broaden the question. What is the Catholic Church? In, in your mind at the moment, uh, it, it's the Council of Trent and what you're doing, and I, I understand why. <laughs> I, I don't mind at all because I enjoy discussion. Mm -hmm. um, but, but you're saying, let's look at the Catholic Church as if it is embodied in the Council of Trent, and it says a few things that, that we find difficult. I don't have any problem with that. Um, I, but, but that's not what I mean by the Catholic Church. That's not why I became a Catholic. I became a Catholic because the devil attacked me and I discovered I didn't have enough resources as, as a Protestant to defeat him. So I went looking for more resources. Okay. Uh, so, so let's – so okay. the Catholic Church – So you had the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, did you not? Yeah, yeah, I did. Okay. They're great. <laughs> They're great. Not, not great enough. <laughs> No, they're, 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 they're absolutely wonderful, but um, but far uh, short. <laughs> well, I remember when I was when I was had this problem about should I become a priest. The Lord had been very fresh with me. He'd given me lots of, we'd had lots of conversations. He'd spoken. He'd broken into my life. He and and suddenly I said to him, Lord, do you want me to be ordained in the church? And he was silent. And I said, Look, this is ridiculous. You can speak to me if you want to. You do. You've been so clear about. You know, here's a list of 50 things you've been clear about. Why are you being silent about this? I really need to know. And he was silent. <clears throat> now, you might say, well, what's your problem? You had the Bible and the Holy Spirit. I did, but he was silent. <laughs> then, what, then what happened was uh, people began to approach me once or twice a week <clears throat> saying, <clears throat> you should be a priest. I agree we need community. We need, we need pastors. We need teachers. We need that. So we, I'm, I'm, I, let's cut the thing short. We need, yeah. I needed the body of Christ. Uh, Agreed. I needed, I needed to hear him speak to me and and to rely not on my private revelation, which I got through the Holy Spirit and the Bible, but I needed to be accountable to the body of Christ. And he wouldn't speak to me about this unless I made myself dependent upon the body. So in the Christian life, we have a number of handholds. And from time to time, we need to shift our resources to see, to discover what we need um, and, and what I discovered in the Catholic Church was something that Protestantism had forgotten, because the, the problem with the Protestant experiment is it, it's a bit like um, 
it's it's a bit like somebody having Alzheimer's for the early part and, and losing their long term memory and only having short memory. Christianity was reinvented in the 16th century as as if it was starting again. But that's not what Jesus intended. That's not what Jesus yeah. did. He says in the Gospels a number of things that, that, that warn the disciples there are going to be developments in their relationship with him. There are things you, you, you cannot bear that I can't tell you now, but later on I'll tell you. Um, the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. There's going to be this organic growth of the church, which is going to happen after I'm, I'm gone physically. Um, he's never gone spiritually. Now, Protestantism knows nothing about this because it, it simply picks up the Bible and it looks at Acts and Revelation and said, we have everything here. But actually, it doesn't have any of the apostolic teaching. It doesn't have the pattern of how the Holy Spirit developed the church. It doesn't have the, relation, the, the, the insight into how heaven pierces time and space with those who are alive in Christ. I mean, for example – well. I would I mean I would I would definitely disagree with that right I don't I don't think Christianity was reinvented like at the time of Luther um you know I I go to an orthodox presbyterian church um and we you know we recite the Nicene Creed on a regular basis the Apostles Creed on a regular basis um so we understand I mean the historical kind of um, growth of the church, you know, and how we so got you, to where we're at you, today. Do you, you honour Mary as 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 Theotokos? Absolutely not. No, no, indeed you don't, because you've forgotten that the, that the Fifth Ecumenical Council, mm. the church came together and said we haven't given her enough attention. And by the way, uh, wasn't it amazing when Bishop Gregory said that she came and visited him just before his evangelistic mission with St. John to encourage him? Why aren't we right. having a proper relationship with Mary when, when we should be? And you, you've forgotten that. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, you know, the second commandment is probably one of the major reasons why I don't exonerate or, you know, exalt her in any way above any other no, no, I, person I, I just said i just well, okay the second commandment is not you know, having we shall not any, have any idols right or right we but, have, but, but, but we should have friends there's one mediator right between god and man mary's not god she's not an idol she's our friend she's, she's, she's mediatrix right but she's also deceased right she's no she's alive and well she's she's so alive she, she jesus said i'm the god of the living not the dead well, well moses, Mo moses is yeah i mean moses is still alive right moses right he appeared with jesus in uh, um the transfiguration right yeah but do you guys do you guys revere and treat moses the way you treat mary like yeah pretty similar yeah absolutely okay so, the, the big, 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 similar in the sense that uh, Moses and Elijah uh, were. Well, we're, we're getting off on a bit of a tangent. We, well, okay. We we're, we're, <laughs> I'll try so you you back. love Mary. I love Mary. You know, and the fact that she was, you know, the mother of Jesus. You know, um, that God gave her that special role um, to carry. She was a second, yeah, go on. She to, was the second Eve. She was the, she was the woman. Sure. Who's yeah, and Christ Christ was the second Adam, right? Right. Yeah. Right. And she was second Eve. So she's the mother of Christ. She's the mother of us, of us all. Because she's the mother of the. So we are the body of Christ, and she's the mother of Christ. So she's our mother. Well, yeah. I don't. I mean, that's kind of beside the point. I mean, the, I think no, the no, no, no. With respect, okay. I'm, I'm not. The important I, points, I, I think, are more of the salvific, <laughs> salvific I, things. So. Please me for teasing you, but what I'm trying to do, is is there is a family history here. 
um, which which has brought together the experiences of the church and what the Holy Spirit has taught, right. always in conformity with Scripture. Absolutely, it must be in conformity with Scripture. But but right. as the church has grown up from an acorn to a tree, so it's had a number of experiences. And, and the most important element of this is that we learn to fight the enemy and to grow the kingdom and the church. Right. And my beef with Protestantism is that it's simply forgotten. Almost every, You're right, we say the creeds. But it's almost forgotten almost everything that happened. And in particular, it, it doesn't understand how the saints and the angels and this whole life of the supernatural impinge in our life today so that the fellowship that we have in time and space, we can have through time and beyond space. And, and that's, you know, I expect you probably believe in angels. I hope you do. And if of you do course, believe yeah. in angels, you'll have seen how in Scripture they have been enormously helpful, um, whether it's in the book of Daniel or the incarnation uh, or for Elijah. There, there's an angelic help. Well, if I said to, to, to my guardian angel or, or, or to, to Michael or Gabriel, hey, guys, I need some help here. I need some muscle because spiritually I haven't got what it takes. You wouldn't right. say you're creating a false god. You'd say you're drawing upon the resources of the kingdom of heaven. And, and that's the same thing of those who've died. They, 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 were, they are alive in Christ and experiences. We have a fellowship that transcends time and space. So mm -hmm. the only difference between us is that you take a you take a, 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 a renaissance view of time and space and lock us in it. And I take a I take a Christian view of time and space and see that it's constantly being burst through by the kingdom of, reality of the kingdom of heaven. So is Mary any different than you and me? Totally. In totally. what sense? In what sense? Well, when the Lord decided he was going to create the universe uh, and, and he knew there would be disobedience. Is she a, is she a sinner in need of, in need of salvation? Um, when he knew there was going to be disobedience, he, he, he had to make a tabernacle in which the incarnation could take place. And this tabernacle had to be if, – if, if the Logos was going to be formed in flesh in this tabernacle – it had to be the purest place possible, p uniquely pure. So we're not talking about Mary as a kind of Zephyrelli-like teenager whom God picks on and says, hey, you'll do. I need, I need a womb. She's no rent-a-womb person. She's, she, she's the pure tabernacle that was created to give the, the unsullied Logos his purity as a man. So when, she's not remotely like us. When you say so, pure, do you mean sinless? Well, to tell you the truth, I don't know. I'm, I'm not. Uh, all I can see is that she needs to be of a different order from us to give birth to the incarnate Word. She's not the same. In the, in the book, be. in the book of Luke, Mary, in her own words, says, "My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoiced in God, my Savior." Of course, so anyone absolutely. who needs a Savior is a sinner. Well, because no human being is God, so we all need being saved in that okay. sense. Of course, that, no, of course that that that's. But but right. but we think we're splitting hairs. Of course, Mary needs a savior. All human beings look we, to, we agree. to to our Lord as as well, as our origin. We we are we're getting down to probably I don't know the last five minutes or okay. so. <laughs> uh, we do we do have a caller who who totally disagrees with Catholicism being the same as Protestantism. <laughs> Yes, well, it isn't. That's true. Um, okay, good. So we're in agreement there, right? Um, but I wanted to but give them a. I wanted. I wanted to give them a, a chance to chime in. Um, it's Teresa from the city of Cyprus. Hey, Teresa, you're on the air with Apologetics.com. How are you? I'm great. Um, I'm a former Catholic, and 
I listen to the Catholic radio station all the time to find out what they're teaching, what they're talking about. And they have, number one, they have no assurance of salvation. And I'm sure this gentleman will agree that you don't know until you get there whether or not you're there, whether you made it. And Mary is the queen of heaven and earth, really. Well, the reason they can do these, say these things, like he was saying about, you know, Mary was sinless and all that, is because they have, they equate scripture and tradition together the same. That is not true. Tradition is not the same as scripture. Scripture is the word of God. And, And now she's, you know, the queen of heaven and earth. She's the Ark of the Covenant. They just make it up as they go along. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I listen to it. I know. I was a Catholic. I know exactly what they're talking about. It's lies. It's total lies. That's my opinion. Okay. Because they can't back it up with Scripture. They can't back up what they're saying with Scripture. They dance right. around it. Well, I would, I would agree with that. They usually go to... Um, tradition. Tradition, a vision, a revelation, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. extra biblical revelation or something like right. that. But I want right. to give... Um, I appreciate the call. We thank you I for the call. I want to hear what he says. I do want to hear um, Mr. Gavin's response to that. Yes, thank so, you. So, first of all, Teresa, thank you for what you said about Scripture, because I agree with you completely about Scripture. It's, everything has to be conformed with the, with the living Word of God. So when we, we're 100% with each other on that. But I think you and I mean different things by the word tradition. Um, you probably, you do, I think, mean by it, um, a kind of spiritual imagination that people have conjured up out of nowhere, which they impose upon the word of God that isn't consistent with it. And and if that's what you mean by tradition, then I agree with you. I think that's rubbish and shouldn't have any truck with it at all. But it's not what I mean by tradition, and it's not what the Catholic Church means by it. Tradition is tra- tradition for 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 this other Christian community um, is our collective experience about what happens when you obey the word of God. And so the, the, we, have, we not only have to have the word, but you have to live it out. And then when you live out the word, you discover how the Lord interrelates with you. It's like his hand is on the tiller. Um, it's a fruit of a living relationship. And you say, oh, OK, so, so if I was to say to you, tell me how your understanding of Scripture has grown as a Christian. You'd say, well, when I first became a Christian, I thought these verses applied in this kind of way. And actually now, 30 years later, I'm a bit wiser and longer in the tooth and the Lord's intervened in my life. And I, I, I now see a deeper and richer meaning to them. OK, well, that's tradition. And, and over, over 2000 years, the, the, the Christian community has shared its experiences of living out the word. Now, you're quite right from time to time because the church is a big thing and it's been going a long time it, it's gone it's gone badly wrong but the great thing is the lord brings it back um the reason i'm a catholic is because i want my i want my collective experience of jesus to be as deep rooted as possible and i wanted to go back to back to the new testament i don't want it to be interrupted between 1500 and, and, and ad 60 and and have to lose and completely forget everything that's happened in between what about assurance of salvation? You have insurance of salvation? You know now for sure you are going to heaven. 
Okay, so what I think you're saying to me is we only got two minutes, so <laughs> you're, you're asking me how much I know the mind of God in His relationship to me at judgment, and the answer is, I know that He loves me. I know that He died for me. I know He wants to bring me to heaven, but I know there's still some business to take place. But I'm not what, there yet. What business? If if Christ died on what the cross and said it is finished. Purgatory. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I I certainly think that when St. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3... If Christ died for your sins... Well, stuff gets burned out of us, I I think that's certainly if, true. I expect did, Christ, to, I expect did Christ die for your sins, Gavin? Of course. And for yours, okay. my dear brother. Rejoice. Hallelujah. Yeah, amen. I'm, I'm, but if Christ died for your sins, what else is there for you to, exactly. to okay. do? Have you, fini- have, you, have you finished sinning yet? No, but Christ has no, died for my sins, past, present, and future. Jesus answered that in John six forty seven. He who believes in me has everlasting life. Do you know that you're always going to repent of all your sins between now and death? Do I, by the yes, grace of God, no. by the grace of God, yes. Well, by the grace of God, always. But hmm. but I don't know that because I'm a, I'm a very flawed sinner. And, um, and and every day I have to throw myself afresh into the living hands of God. I don't. I, I'm not so. It's not God. I doubt. It's me. <laughs> I, yes. I doubt me. And I that's trust the, the and that's and that's the problem. I think. It, I think it 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 kind of reveals where your where your hope truly is. It's in God, but it's also in you because God. My hope is not in me. Because if it was, I, when, when you say. Do you have assurance of salvation? I hear you saying, right. "Do you trust in? Do if, you trust in your integrity?" And the answer right. is, "I really don't. I only trust in Jesus." All right, Amen. Thank you. I think we got to do another show. If you'd be willing, I'd love that. Yes, um, I'd love to do. That. If our salvation depends on Jesus, then we can have assurance. If, if it depends on Jesus and me, then we can't. If I can uh, lose it, I will lose it. Right. So, Gavin, <laughs> Gavin, thank you so much. We I wish we got into more of this a little earlier in the show, but uh, we'll have to do another one. That would be lovely. Thank you so much, Gavin. And we'll be in touch. All right. Thanks for listening to the Apologetics.com radio show. This is Jason Gallagher. We'll see you next Friday.